It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. I begin today by returning to a statement of Richard Dawkins that I mentioned at the end of the last episode. This statement begins with the words, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Then Dawkins lists all kinds of derogatory characteristics that he attributes to God. By besmirching the character of God in this way, Dawkins is committing the fallacy of poisoning the well and the ad hominem fallacy. The poisoning the well fallacy is a rhetorical ploy often used in place of a reasoned argument with the intent to bias the reader or listener emotionally against the opposing position. In this instance, Dawkins uses practically every known negative descriptor in his portrayal of God. He attempts to produce a strong, negative, reprehensible impression of God. If that description is true, who would want to have anything to do with such a God? Any Christian would think that Dawkins' description is totally foreign to the God of the Bible. Ad hominem means against the person. I call it the character assassination fallacy. During the Trump presidency, it seemed to me that every argument in the mainstream media committed this fallacy whenever they discussed President Trump. This means every such argument was completely false. Remember, there are only three ways to show an argument is false. Show either, one, a term is used ambiguously, two, a premise is false, or three, a logical fallacy occurs, including possibly that the form of the argument is not valid. The second fallacy involved in Dawkins' statement, I believe, is either a straw man fallacy or a red herring fallacy. Maybe it's both. The straw man fallacy misrepresents the opponent's argument either by exaggeration or distortion. The title of this fallacy refers to a scarecrow in a vegetable patch. This fallacy addresses a substitute argument, a weaker target, rather than the actual argument. Dawkins' description of God is a decoy to get the audience interested in the wrong target, a straw man, a poorly dressed and lifeless substitute. 
If you don't observe that the substitute argument has been introduced, then the weaker argument can be knocked down easily and victory can be declared. A red herring fallacy is one that changes from the topic under consideration to an irrelevant side issue in order to divert the attention of listeners or readers from the real issue to the side issue. In this case, instead of a loving God who cares for people, Dawkins attempts to focus on a God with all kinds of negative attributes. Third, Dawkins' statement portrayed the God of the Bible in such an uncomplimentary fashion that everyone would find him reprehensible. This portrayal appeals to the emotions rather than to reason. It is especially condemning to someone like Dawkins, who claims to occupy the intellectual high ground, and who would have us believe that he has cornered the market on reason. Fourth, Dawkins gives no evidence to support his negative characterization of God. Thus, there is no reason to accept his characterization of God. Fifth, Dawkins calls his discussion about God as a fiction. He is again trying to prejudice the discussion. I doubt that any such ploy would be allowed in a courtroom trial. On occasion, I suspect that some atheists may knowingly introduce a fallacy, hoping to give the impression of an, an enhanced argument. That can only work if the audience does not recognize the fallacy. But once it is identified, the atheistic argument is crippled. I suggest that the atheist would greatly benefit by taking an introductory course in logic. I also recommend reading the article Richard Dawkins Debunked. A Dozen Logical Fallacies in the God Delusion by Norman J. Lund on the website Center for Biblical Theology and Eschatology. Dawkins follows up his negative assault on God's character, where in the next chapter of his book he also challenges the morality of the Bible. He says, We shouldn't get our morals from Scripture. That's found on page 249. In one incident, Dawkins refers to an event in Judges chapters 19 through 21, where a man allowed his concubine to be raped and murdered. Then the man cut her body into 12 pieces and sent one piece to each of the 12 tribes of Israel as a rallying cry to battle. Dawkins writes, Let's charitably put it down again to the ubiquitous weirdness of the Bible. In his book, The Truth Behind the New Atheism, David Marshall responds, Why not put it down to the ubiquitous weirdness of people? One might as well blame Darwin for finches dying in the Galapagos. Dawkins 
seems under the strange assumption that God approves of such action just because an action is recorded in the Bible does not mean that God approves of the propriety of the action. But that's not all. Dawkins has not read what the radio broadcaster Paul Harvey called the rest of the story. In the book of Judges, the last verse ends with this editorial comment. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, people left to subjective morality often go wrong. So by pulling this event out of its context, Dawkins demonstrates he has not done his homework and displays that he has no idea what is the proper interpretation. I heard a quote in college that has stayed with me all these years. It goes something like this with my own bit of editing. A text without a context is a pretext for an interpretive disaster. In the last episode, I said that human beings are made in the image of God in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 27. That makes every person special. That puts God's stamp of approval on our value. It is impossible to understand ourselves as people without this divine backdrop. In every person, there is a spiritual capacity for worship, prayer, fellowship, and accountability to God. And not only that, but also an intellectual capacity to reason. We are not only made in God's image, but God writes his law on our hearts. Romans 2.15 Therefore, God has given us a moral nature, and the location of the moral law is within our conscience. The conscience can be likened to an alarm system. It warns us when we transgress our moral standard. The drawback to depending on this alarm system is that our conscience is only as good as the moral standard that informs it. If it is not the Bible, then our conscience is informed by other sources that may not be trustworthy and could lead to disaster. It's true we are made in God's image. That is the fact. It is this truth that explains not just what we are, but who we are. But here is a counterbalancing factor. We are only images, not God himself. We exist only by derivation from Him. In this regard, we do not rise to the level of Jesus Christ, who is the express replica of God, an exact representation of His nature. We can find this in the Bible in Colossians 1, verse 15, and Hebrews 1, verse 3. 
In his review of The God Delusion, the Christian philosopher Alvin Plantinga warns readers that one shouldn't look to this book for even-handed and thoughtful commentary. In fact, the proportion of insult, ridicule, mockery, spleen, and vitriol is astounding. Plantinga quipped that some of Richard Dawkins' forays into philosophy are at best sophomoric, but that would be unfair to sophomores. The fact is, many of his arguments would receive a failing grade in a sophomore philosophy class. Atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel, in his review of the same book, <coughs> also referred to Dawkins' attempt as those of an amateur, and his efforts particularly weak. Nagel notes that since Dawkins aims to overturn the convention of respect toward religion that belongs to the etiquette of modern civilization, he resorts to violating the convention by being as offensive as possible. Also, the atheist philosopher and Darwinian advocate Michael Ruse has said even more harshly, the God delusion makes me embarrassed to be an atheist. On the cover of a book, Dinesh D'Souza writes, atheists like Richard Dawkins are putting forth shoddy arguments, and once those arguments are dismantled by cool reason, there is very little left. In their book, The Dawkins Delusion, question mark, Alistair and Joanna McGrath say that since the publication of The Selfish Gene, Richard Dawkins established himself as one of the most successful and skillful scientific popularizers. Yet with the book, The God Delusion, they say he makes a significant departure. The former thought was religion was supposed to have disappeared years ago. For more than a century, leading sociologists, anthropologists, and psychologists have declared their children would see the dawn of a new era in which the God delusion would be left behind for good. Back in the 1960s, we were told that religion was fading away to be replaced by a secular world. Two things have changed since then. In the first place, religion has made a comeback. And second, Alistair says that his own attitude has changed. He was an atheist in his youth, but has subsequently found himself persuaded that Christianity was a more interesting and intellectually exciting worldview than atheism. I think that since religion has made a comeback, atheists have tried to elevate their vitriolic rhetoric in an attempt to thwart the turnaround. A case in point is Christopher Hitchens' book, God is Not Great, with the subtitle, How Religion Poisons Everything. Hitchens posited that organized religion is, 
violent, irrational, intolerant, allied to racism, tribalism, and bigotry, invested in the ignorance and hostile to free inquiry, contemptuous to women, and coercive to children, and sectarian. Religion ought to have a great deal on its conscience. He and Dawkins agree that the one great sin of religion is that it indoctrinates children. Both have a jaundiced eye toward religion, but a blind eye when it comes to the atheistic regimes in the phenomenal number of deaths in the 20th century. Nevertheless, in my view, though Hitchens charges organized religion with poisoning everything, he does not consider the fact that atheism, the favorite identity of his, Dawkins, Harris, and et al., shares some characteristics of a religion. It It would be helpful to define religion before I attempt to classify any belief system, such as atheism, as a religion. These definitions come from dictionary.com. They give six definitions. Allow me to list only two of the six definitions. First, the practice of religious beliefs, ritual observance of faith. Second, something one believes in and and follows devotedly, a point or matter of ethics or conscience. Allow me to give six pieces of evidence to support the claim that atheism is a religion. First, according to the above definitions, atheism can indeed be classified a religion. Second, atheism is more than just a non-belief in God. It is the core identity of some atheist. I had a tennis buddy that when I introduced him to someone, the first words out of his mouth were, I am an atheist. I don't believe in the tooth fairy, but my identity is not enhanced by identifying myself as an ah tooth fairian. Third, atheism operates on faith, faith in reason, faith in science, faith in naturalism, faith in macroevolution, faith in natural selection, faith in random mutations, faith in their assessment that there is no God. The fourth piece of evidence that atheism is a religion is because the God of atheism is chance. One whole chapter in the book Answering the New Atheism by the Franciscan University Professor's Scott Hahn and Benjamin Weicker is devoted to showing that chance is the atheist's God. Psalms 14 verse 1 states, The fool has said in his heart, No God. The words no God is the literal rendering of the Hebrew text. I suspect that the fool does not deny the existence of God, He rejects the authority of the one true God, replacing God with himself. In other words, he becomes his own God. He says, no God for me, meaning no God but me. 
not so much a denial of the actual being of God, but the denial of his moral government over the atheist. The atheist thus creates a God he can worship. I would go beyond what Hahn and Weicker have affirmed, that chance is the God of atheism, and say that religion of atheism is Trinitarian, with chance as God, natural selection, and random mutation as the other two persons of their deity. The fifth piece of evidence is that atheists and secularists are now starting churches. Atheism is behaving like a belief system. It has certain creeds and a hierarchy of leaders. The sixth piece of evidence is that in 2005, the Seventh Circuit Court held that atheism is entitled to the same treatment that traditional religions receive under the Constitution. I'm not aware if that decision has been taken up by the Supreme Court and finally adjudicated. If atheism continues its desire to be a religion, hopefully they will soon start building children's hospitals, orphanages, or agencies for disaster relief like the Red Cross, Samaritan's Purse, or Catholic Charities. If atheism is, in fact, a belief system, there are some entailments that follow. One of the biggest is this. If atheism is a religion, you can't simply assume it. You have to give reasons for it. You have to propose evidence. If you're not willing to give evidence, you violate one of Christopher Hitchens' maxims, who wrote these words in God is Not Great. That which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Those words Hitchens applied to Christianity, but I am applying them to atheism. I suggest that my atheist friends take Hitchens' advice. Besides that, atheism being a religion as I claim, according to Hitchens, is itself guilty of poisoning everything. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.